We're happy to make podcasts available for selected ed webinars for your listening pleasure. If you'd like to receive a CE certificate, you must watch the video recording. Recordings and quizzes can be found in the EdWebinar archives. Please visit home.edweb.net slash podcasts for more information. Welcome, everyone. Uh, this is Bernard. I'm super excited to welcome you to our first EdWeb, um, which is focused on 10 math practices to foster problem solving specifically for elementary learners. Uh, I myself am Bernard from InnovaMath, and I am very excited to be here today with Albert and Dr. Shep, who you know, you've already been able to, to hear the voice from. But essentially, Dr. Shep, she is the K-12 supervisor of STEM at Vernon Township School District, which is North New Jersey. For I mean, for New Jersey, for New Jersey people, you probably know where it is. And, and Albert, he is a math pedagogy professor at the Autonomous University of Barcelona. And essentially, he's a core piece of our learning team at InnovaMath. And I'm extremely also excited to, to call him a friend today and every day, but today more, more especially since it's a special moment. What is the goal for today? So today we're going to explore through ready for class examples, some practices which are great for encouraging a problem solving environment in your classroom. Now we'll do this in two steps. First of all, we'll outline these STEM practices, which we've developed over time. And essentially, we'll just mention what they are so you understand and get a, you know overall picture of them. And then, second step, we'll deep dive into three of them. And we'll deep dive by, as I said before, going through some real live examples that you can directly take to your classroom tomorrow, if you'd like. I think it's time for me to, to shut up because I am not the expert here. I'll hand it over to, to Dr. Shep and Albert uh, to dive into these 10 practices. So up to you. Yeah, let's, let's start um, diving into all the practices, not uh, too deep because we want to go to the examples later on. So yeah, as Bernard said, we're going to go through all of them just for a couple of minutes, and then we will dip into three of them with uh, real examples. Okay, so if we look at the first one, the first one should be, um, don't explain anything that students can discover. I mean, you cannot always make your students to discover all the content. It's unlikely that they discover some uh, abstract content that math have. But anytime you have the, the chance to foster an activity or an environment that leads your students to discover by their, their themselves, by their own, that will, will lead to a much more meaningful learning. So yeah, every time you can, you ask the right questions and you lead them, you guide them to the discovery. And eventually you will have time to formalize that and write that down. But first, the experience of discovery is more important. And it's great because that discovery really helps to link the content across curriculums, across content areas. When we think about math being the universal language, right? It's the connection, it's what, what's behind the math. We tend to compartmentalize things so much, and we really want to start to have students make the connections because once they discover it and make the connections and start to see there's math everywhere, it's seeing it in the smallest things, right? It's when you you buy a two-liter bottle of soda. Well, you know, what we're talking in liters, we're starting to talk in volumes, we're starting to talk in areas. We look at things across the board like that. So trying to see what's there, what's more in depth behind the content, really makes something become rich. We 
when you can add that to it. You're not just showing something flat. You want to make it three-dimensional, multi-dimensional. That's really our goal when we think of math. And then, so that being said, when we go into our third practice, we we realize third practice. <laughs> we okay. realize that when we're when we're doing that, um, we don't want to be afraid of the conversations. You don't want a quiet classroom too much, right? Um, we want that 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 communication, that collaboration, those 21st century skills, right, of creativity and critical thinking. And that all comes about when you start to discover, link content, go deep, have conversations. And sometimes, you know, we're, we're afraid of, of a little organized chaos. And that's where the learning happens and when you can really observe some of that great math talk in action. And if you foster a good conversation, everyone is invited to the party. And that's our fourth uh, practice. Uh, it's a concept, this low floor, high ceiling, white walls. It's a concept that you might uh, have heard before. It's a concept that comes, well, Joe Bowler wrote, wrote about it. And Rich, I don't know if you're familiar, with, if anyone is from the UK, Rich from Cambridge University also wrote about this. You can find many, many uh, recommendations to dip into this uh, tip. But for us, it's like, okay, if everyone is invited to the party, then differentiation it gets easier because you have your kids all of them start to think in a problem in an open in an open question and then if some of your kids are talented and want to go beyond the task itself has to allow them to go there and to ask themselves new questions within the same activity and that's having a, a, a high ceiling and also we were discussing uh, this recently the white walls is a is a recent uh, add-on to this concept because it's not only everyone gets in and everyone can go beyond it's also that you have many different strategies to find the solution and if you have many strategies then you have a great conversation discussing i did it this way you did it that way what is more efficient so yeah many solutions many strategies uh, are linked to these white walls moving to the fifth the fifth um the fifth tip value depth more than speed it's Pretty clear this one. It's it's short and clear, but it's not that easy to to implement that in, in in our classes. In my experience, curriculum and tests are always uh, behind us, and we want to run and we want to do everything. I understand that's a compromise we have as teachers to follow what the curriculum says. But every time you have the chance to go deeper, it's a silly example, but I'd rather do a couple of additions in a deep way and trying that all my students understand what's going on with the addition rather than do 20, 40, 50 additions in a row that don't add any value to the first couple or, or, or three additions if you do it with, uh, deep. And since one of uh, the activities we'll do today, we'll be uh, clearing this uh, in a much more easy way to, for you to, to follow. I don't want to add anything else. Let's, let's move to number six. That sounds great because I love this one. I, when we think about the value of depth more than speed, I can't wait till we get to it. That's one of my favorite, favorite activities. But we also, when we lead a rich problem solving environment, we really need to make sure, depending on especially the level of our children, we're asking questions often. We're getting them to think. And we want questions that don't just have a, a yes, no, a stagnant answer. We want them to have to sort of link one thing to another, to another, to another. So asking questions is really a, a good, comfortable way to start to get children okay in that problem-solving environment 
we as teachers have to be okay with that academic struggle, right? We always want to answer it for them. We want to make sure that they're, you know, safe, but you, we need a little bit of struggle and build that rigor so that they get really comfortable with themselves and their ability to think critically and answer these within that environment. That becomes really, really important. Also, after struggle, the reward is much greater for the kids and they feel it. And if you if you question your students um, soon enough, eventually you will see that they make mistakes. And that's what leads us to number seven. Number seven is about accepting and not only accepting, but also even fostering errors sometimes uh, and, and talk about those errors. You see, trial and error is, is one of our basic ways to develop science. Why? Is error so so um, so uh, bad uh, in 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 the traditional way of approaching maths? Like, oh, you cannot fail this addition. You cannot fail this uh, this uh, calculation of an area, for for example. No, let's accept error. Let's have these conversations. So, oh, what's what? What was your mistake, and why you did that mistake? And what can we do to build upon that mistake? That this is the basic of of math progress. It's being okay with making that mistake, right? Like it's yes. it's that's how we learn type of thing, and being being comfortable with the uncomfortable. Sometimes I, I also like when we think about, okay, math is a way, universal language to make connections. And it's everywhere around us. I mentioned this before with the previous practice going beyond the content. But when we think about making connections at STEM curiosity, when we think about how many things around us are steeped in mathematics, right? It's, it's what everything's based on. So when we think of music, when we think of architecture, when we think of, well, why are triangles strong? Why are they, you know, why do we build things out of stri triangles? When we think about like another number sense, what is number sense? Wh when do we use numbers? When do we think about any type of geometry, shape, um, aesthetics start to get down to shape and really has a mathematic principle, music, all of these things, you know, we think cross-curricular, but everything has a connection to math and mathematics. I, I love the connections and, and since I am a mathematical guy, I see them everywhere. And that's what, of course, not all your students will, will, will do that at the end, but it's good that you, you show them that maths are, are everywhere. And I like number nine uh, a lot because traditionally, and I did that with my students, I go in the class and I say, hello class, today we're going to uh, learn what is uh, symmetry. So a symmetrical object is blah, blah, blah. That's not that bad but there are better ways to do that how do we learn language can you imagine going to a kid a three-year-old kid or two-year-old kid and tell him or her okay write that down a table is a furniture that is used to then have uh, or eat uh, in there and no we, we don't we don't describe every word we want the, our kids to learn language in a more natural way in the mathematical class especially in elementary school definitions have to come at the end so a good way to show your kids uh, concepts without having to state the definition beforehand is with examples and counterexamples and observing patterns. So you show them this is a triangle. This is not a triangle. What is a triangle? And that's much more uh, deep and, and understandable for them than just going with the definition. Okay, it's a three side shape, blah, blah, blah. We will see that today as well. And, you know, with that struggle, with that challenge, with that questioning, it, it's really important to always celebrate success, right? You want to build that strength that, like, I can do it, get a little tougher. Okay, I'll, I'm willing to take more of a risk now. 
because I, I know I've built my confidence. So having those moments where you celebrate success, you know, we have the, the SEL piece, right? The social emotional learning piece, it's connected, it's integrated through everything. And just, you know, that, that, that proactive, that positive, that celebration might look different for different kids. It might look different in different classrooms, but it's really super important when, if, if you want the rigor, if you want the strength, you got, you know, you can't just lift feathers, you got to lift heavier weights, but we also then have to celebrate that success. hundred percent. I could not agree more. <laughs> uh, by the way, there was a question from Sarah. Uh, she asked whether we'd be able to send the PDF with the 10 practices later on. So we have even better news because uh, Albert actually wrote, wrote a 40 page ebook uh, diving into the 10 practices. So we'll be able to share that in not so long. Um, so for sure, count on that. That will happen. <laughs> so you give me three hours to explain them or I wrote, I will write 40 pages and yeah, you, you see. <laughs> that is true. Like, luckily, we only have one hour because otherwise, like, we'd stay here all night. I can tell you. <laughs> For sure. Anyway, that's that's wonderful. Okay, Thanks. let's let's focus. Let's get to some examples. Let's let's yes. show them how it's done. Let's dive into let's that. Some suggestions. By the way, before diving into the examples, if you have any other questions, I am checking it continuously. Just feel free to shoot. <laughs> so, first example. In this first example, we're actually going to be speaking about practice number two, so understanding mathematics beyond content. Now, as you can see from the picture, this is a word problem. Now, I'm going to read it out loud. If our heart beats at an average rate of 70 beats per minute, and the average life expectancy in the U.S. is 75 years, how many times will our heart beat in our entire life? Now, for this, I'd love your participation. We have two questions ready for you. Uh, the first one is, do we think that this is a problem? And the second is, do we know how to solve it? I love each and every one of you to answer this. And for this, I have prepared a small link to a survey. So I'm sending this now. Give me just a few seconds. Oh. I'm sending this on the chat. Oh, just did. Okay, so now we can go there, right, Bernard, with the link and answer the questions, right? Yes, that is correct. I'll do it myself. You know Once the we get answer. answers. <laughs> You're setting up the statistics. <laughs> That's so. Let's get some more answers and then we'll move on to the second question because I I need to move the slide for you guys to see the second question. Fifty-three people answered so far. Oh, Jeanette, I agree. Certainly, nobody's average. I certainly agree. It really depends on what we're measuring. And if that was about the problem, sorry, I interpreted it differently. <laughs> okay, so we begin to have a good number of answers. We let's see, let's see. Do you guys want to see already the answers to the first question? I would like to, yes. Sure. I would. So it feels like, it seems like a, a big majority seem, believes that this is a problem. That's mm -hmm. impressive. Well, I'd say we can move on to the second question now. 
had a good bunch answering. If you didn't have the time, just think about it and think your answer. It's okay. You, you, you don't need to, to answer that, it. That's completely fine. Now, you should be able to see the second question now popping up. This is a menti, by the way, if you, know, if you guys are acquainted with it. <laughs> there, also here, there seems to be a clear, clear majority. <laughs> okay, 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 okay. Oh, Annabelle is, is asking, what exactly is the is the problem? Life expectancy? Yeah, we can we can discuss about that. Oh, don't Do get Albert going down this rabbit hole. <laughs> I think we should talk about the real thing. Is this a problem, Albert? Yeah, let's go for it. I mean, it's it's funny that for most of us and I did this activity many times with, with in teacher training and also with kids. And for most of us as grown-ups, we know how to solve it, right? We know the strategy. We know maybe we are too lazy. It's too late for me to, to go through the numbers, to the actual numbers, so I won't. Um, but that's not the point. I think if I know how to do it, is it a problem for me? If I know the steps I have to follow, even if I'm too lazy to do them, even if I'm using my calculator, is it a problem? Really, is, is it, it is a problem? Or it's just an exercise that I can uh, practice multiplications? It's actually, here you have the, the real problem uh, is that when you, when you discuss this with teachers and in teacher trainings, is that we have to agree of a definition of a problem, or, or at least we have to agree on the terms. Normally, in the US, I've heard these days that you say oh, this is a word problem. And I'm okay with that. We can say this is a word problem and we understand each other. Perfect. But understand that when you say this is a word problem, the word problem in that sentence is not really true. Because what is a problem? What, what research says is that a problem is anything that you don't know directly how to solve. So you have to find a strategy. You have to think. You have to discuss about it. So is this statement a problem? Well, the answer is, it depends. I can tell you, for a second grader, it will be a problem. For most of second graders, it will be a problem. Is it a problem for a kid in sixth grade or in first grade of high school? Probably not. Is it a problem for us as grown-ups? It's not a problem because we know the strategy. And, and that's what the, the definition uh, of a problem is. Of course, we can say it's our, it's our problem, but it's not challenging us as grown-ups. Well, what so we do? I think what we want to think is then, okay, so if, if we have this word problem and we're talking about creating a rich problem-solving environment, right? We want to change our approach a little bit. We can get to the same strategies. We can get to the same things we want to teach, but how can we get them engaged? How can we rephrase this? So that we're creating a rich environment that creates, turns it more into a problem where they have to think, well, what strategy do I have to use? How do I have to go about this? Do I have to seek information? Do I have to get more things? So I think we have to think about, okay, how can we reframe this wording to add a little critical thinking to it, add a little deeper piece to it? Well, let's see what we can do. I love this because this is what I call less is more. So you remove from the statement, you remove the data. How many times will our heart beat in our entire life? And now 
it becomes more the idea of what a problem is for for from a research point of view so what do we have to do then if the statement is how many times will your our heart beat in our entire life we have to agree what's our entire life and then some conversation might oh my grandma lived until that age and yeah my grandma is still is still alive and that conversation can start and then we can go up to the internet and try, try to find some data are we considering life expectancy worldwide life expectancy in my country women and men have different life expectancy and that can lead to a to another discussion okay as you will see today we like to see activities as a tree with many branches you have the trunk what you are for sure going to do and then you have many branches you can explore if you want if the class is engaged okay so here you would have a branch you could explore about life expectancy but going back to math so what could we do to calculate the the, the rate the rate of our hearts could we find that on the internet as well but why don't we take measures why don't we take our 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 heart rate we would we would have to measure time as well and then every single one of us will have a different one so average can come into into the game right to discuss how if i have 30 different uh, measurements how can we agree on one single number that's average is a is, is a good answer it's not the only one but in elementary school it would be a good answer and then you are making estimation using statistical tools as i said like mm, average and finally as holis was saying deciding a strategy and coming with an agreement as a whole class and i can tell you this is much more engagement engaging for the kids because they decided the variables of the problem and that's what mathematicians actually do in 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 the real jobs they don't have problems well and Albert, i'm sorry to interrupt here but just no, 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 no. I love about it. getting them getting them involved right you're not just giving them here's the data to do it as soon as they now are taking their own measurements they're getting their own data on their own bodies all of a sudden they might actually become a little more engaged in trying to figure it out so when we talk about that motivational piece we talk about you know creating this rich environment you have to get the engagement and usually if a kid sees this type of problem they're like oh word problem <laughs> right they they immediately like shrink back so how can we create that environment that all of a sudden they're like, well, this is my heartbeat. What's your heartbeat? You know, you can really start to bring in a rich environment when we think about how to change our perspective of problem solving. I completely agree. And also, on the other hand, we, we don't like going to one side or to the other side of the equation. So we are not saying get rid of every single word problem you do. No, no, no. Word problems are important. We're saying that sometimes it's good to foster a real problem-solving environment, to take one of your typical word problems and get rid of the data and go for estimation. Some of them are better to do that, some of them are not, but you will find. Uh, and if you try this activity, we would love to hear from you. 100%, that's, that's great, thank you so much. Now, let's go to example number two. So example number two, we're going to, so we're going to focus on a different practice. This one I am very excited about myself which is do not explain anything that students can discover by themselves. Now, so this is, is beautiful. And it has a lot to do with the inquiry-based approach that a lot of us, you know, try and, and, and do in our classrooms. So, so now I'm asking you to draw. And if you have a grid paper, it will be easier. If you don't, don't draw all the grid. You just draw the rectangles. 
Because that's the question. Draw on the grid all possible rectangles of area 18 squares. Can leave you one minute. And try to find all possible rectangles of area 18 squares. Engelbert has put so much emphasis on all that everyone has understood it. <laughs> yeah, while people is drawing, I understand and I, I cannot be quiet. I, can, I have to use all the time. <laughs> while, while you are thinking, let me explain you my experience doing this activity with, with the kids. Okay, I go through the tables and eventually, every time I, tr I try this activity, eventually a kid asks me, well, what do you mean by all? Do I have to consider the, for instance, 1 times 18, that goes one solution, the first solution, 1 times 18 rectangle is also the same one as 18 times 1. So the horizontal rectangle is the same as the vertical rectangle. And that can, can go to a, a good conversation of definition of what is different, right? All possible rectangles, all different rectangles, what's different? Do we consider that the same rectangle? And eventually it leads to the commutative property of multiplication. 1 times 18 is the same as 18 times 1, but you can see it in a different way from a rectangular point of view. It's the same amount of squares, but the orientation is different. Right? Well, Vicky was actually mentioning that on chat because Samar gave the answer and Vicky said, well, also the reverse of those, right? Perfect, so, perfect. Yeah, the reverse of those. And yeah, I, I'm telling you, the kids normally ask because they want to, they want all the, all the, all the statement very clear. So. Right. In my experience, they ask, but what do you mean by different? Are we considering this? That is a good question. Well, there, there are actually a lot of interesting insights from the chat. So Jin uh, is saying, does it need to be a full square? Which is, you know. Yes, it has to it be a full square. Right. Doesn't it all come down to how we want to define the problem, right? Exactly. When we think about what is the problem and when you start to have those class discussions, you know, you can present this in your class and part of the problem solving, the rich problem solving, the discussion in the classroom, okay, well, what do we want our rules to be? Do we 100%. want them to be, it must cover certain squares? Do we want it to be, um, you know, parallelograms? Yes, no. It, you know, it really depends on how you want to frame that within your classroom. But the fact is you're getting them talking about math. You're getting yeah. them involved in that conversation and using their math words. So, you know, don't, Sometimes I know, when, especially when I first started teaching, I wanted everything in a box and I want it laid out, like, and what happened if, 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 if. Like, I was very hypervigilant to make sure I knew everything that could possibly happen with no surprises. And quite frankly, the, the fun comes in the surprises sometimes. Mm. True. And the, the, what I call the, the free illusion of choice, you, you, you let them choose. Do you want to consider the uh, half of a square? But what then what with a quarter of a square? And that's it, that, that never ends. You, you could have, have infinite solutions. So it's good to don't paternalize our students. And, and if they are old enough or grown, grown up enough, you can ask them, okay, what do you want to do? Have infinite solutions or a very limited amount of solution? And that is also a skill related to problem solving, right? Yeah, absolutely. Emily Albert is asking uh, if the point is do not start with rules and essentially let the students develop them or if we should guide them in that process. So I answered it. <laughs> I just typed yeah. in an answer. Yeah, I think it depends on your class and what, you know, maybe one class, you know, you have different levels of class too. I don't know what your class dynamics are heterogeneous or homogeneous type of groupings in your class, but that's sort of, you know, that's, it's, there's an art and a science to teaching, right? So when we think about, okay, maybe in your, your more advanced class, you don't want rules. Maybe you need rules. Maybe in, 
in um, with struggling learners, you need to have those very clear boundaries. I think it really can depend on your class and the autonomy you have to decide what would be best for your goal for that lesson that day. For sure. Actually, so sometimes the rules get get fixed or set if you give them manipulatives. For a, from a virtual webinar, it's hard to to provide you with manipulatives, but this activity is perfect uh, to do it with uh, tiles, with square tiles, or with cubes if you want. So if you give them whole tiles or whole cubes, nobody will ask if you have to consider the whole square. And of course, the choose of the material of the manipulative you give them is also sometimes or most of the times related to the rules you are giving them, right? In this Bernard, case, this can you tell me the answers? I want to see what you came up with. Yeah, yeah, let's go to the answers because let's, I let's, can be correct with this. Sorry. See the answers? Right now. now. Yes, now we're good. So, yeah, three answers one times 18, two times nine, three times six, and the reverse of that, that leads to the commutative property, and that's a branch that we could explore, right? 100%. So, and, and here, Another branch, very interesting branch. I did this activity last week with uh, university students, with college students, and, and, and we had this very rich conversation because here I asked them, okay, what's the area? And yeah, it all said, yeah, that's a silly question. It's 18 for all of them because that was the rule. It's 18 for all of them. Yeah, okay. And then I asked, and what about the perimeter? And they said, yeah, it's the same perimeter. I have to check it, but it will be the same. And after one minute, I didn't say yes or no. I said, yeah, let's check it. After one minute, they started to say, wait, 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 wait. The area is the same, but the perimeter is different. And that blows their minds. And they are grown-ups, but with, with your third, fourth, fifth graders, that would be a challenge as well. Discovering that area and perimeter are not always directly related, it's very interesting. And which one has the longer perimeter here? The one times 18. So the narrower the rectangle, the longer the perimeter. And in fact, if you could do a square here, 18 is not a square number, but if it was a square number, the, the minimum perimeter comes when you get the, the square, right? So you can see the difference. And, and this activity is very good to detach the idea of area from the idea of perimeter, which in, in our experience, it comes most of the times it comes together and distortion. Well, and just think about how you just led us through that activity, because you're asking the questions as we go through. You're making the connections and you're helping students make those connections. So we're talking about fostering that rich problem solving environment. Practices are interrelated. They're not isolated either. Right. They're they're very overlapping. Yes. And Sharon was asking if the squares, squares represent, represent one unit. Yeah. In this case, I would say yes. If we moved into the area, I would say yes. All of them have area 18 as the side of the square is one in terms of the perimeter. So the first one would be 18 plus 18 plus two. You see how I did the perimeter real fast. And the second one will be nine plus nine plus two plus two. And the third one will be three plus three plus six plus six. And yeah. you could go deeper into that. But now- Penny mentioned something. She said that she misunderstood and was trying to find uh, how many of each of these rectangles were on the grid, right? Oh. So I think like, Mentioning like trying to really use every every space that was you know. That's another very interesting task. I never tried to be honest, and yeah, that that could lead a lot of solutions. What is the best option to tile all the plane? Do we have different different perspectives there? That would be a, a very good a, a very good point. So here well, you see 
so some of the some of our audience is saying, oh, I understood the same. Sometimes that happens with your with your class or with your audience. And as a teacher, I could say, and I will for sure. Next time I do this activity, well, we have maybe to change the statement. But use it. Use your own mistakes. And I could say, yeah, well, maybe it was not clear. And now if I was in my class, instead of saying, oh, I am a bad teacher and be ashamed, no, use that. And now I would say, okay, my bad. If most of you get it wrong, it's my bad. Can you help me to write a better statement? Let's try it for next year, for next year class. And right. kids, I'm telling you, they are super engaged to, to prepare activities for next year uh, kids, right? So use your own mistakes. If we are accepting and fostering uh, mistakes from our students, we should embrace also our mistakes, right? So here, maybe the statement was not clear enough. If mo most of you got it wrong, my bad, but yeah, we can use it. And now the question that comes, the question that comes is what are these numbers? One, two, three, six, nine, and 18. Why these numbers? And how are they related to number 18? Eventually kids, if they are familiar with factors, they will say, oh, there are the factors of 18. Okay, so finding the different rectangles of any given whole number is like finding the factors of that number. Very cool. And let's finish this example with a new question. What would happen if instead of number 18, you do it with number 17? So now I'm asking you, find all the rectangles that have area 17 squares. How many are there? How many of them? Let's see the chat. Oh. Emily is seeing what is <laughs> That is true. Very good, Emily. Very good. Very good. One, 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 one. And Jennifer explains it perfectly because it's a prime number. Yes. And that's a very good way to discover prime numbers. So they try with 17 and they say, oh, wait, 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 only one. What would happen with 16? 16 is also very interesting because you have a square there and you can talk about square numbers, which is perfect to, to, to describe the the, the powers of two as squares. Why is a power of two called square? Because of that, but that's another branch. Uh, at the end is, okay, one times 17, only one. Why? Because yeah, 17 is a prime number and prime numbers are those with only two factors, one on themselves. In other words, prime numbers are those with only one rectangle. So what instead I love of- that, Sorry, I'm sorry, Albert, but what I love no, no, about- no, I, love it. I love it. Is it, it's so, I don't wanna say, easy to do in a classroom, right? It, it, it's so easy. It doesn't take a lot of prep, but you get this rich discussion that can make all these connections. So you don't have to have these complex things to create a rich problem-solving environment. You just have to have the right problem. You have to have the right scaffolding. Completely true. And they will be they will be attached to this, emotionally attached to these rectangles because they, they discovered them, they, they found them, and that's good as well. And at the end, yeah, you 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 go at the end. You go to the definition of what's a prime number, and if you if the kids are old enough, you can ask them to write down the definition. Yeah, I'm okay with that. But after discovering them, because when I discovered this activity, I never heard about prime numbers like this before uh, doing this this project. And when I discovered this activity, for me, every time I I see a prime number, or every time anyone says me, oh, this is a prime number, I imagine the long rectangle, and that, that's a very strong connection. 
And I will never forget that. And of course, I understand what a prime number is, but most of our students and most of the society don't really understand what, what's that. And this is a very good connection with the geometrical approach, right? That's, that's, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. Well, let's try something different. Let's go to this example. This is like my favorite. I love this. Because <laughs> we always talk about this, right? We always go deeper, right? We're always saying go deeper. You know, we're worried about speed all the time. But to have a really good way to do it is, is tricky, I think. 100%. So this is, is one of my favorites. This, this, I love this activity as well. I, sorry, Albert, go for it. No, I mean I'm too, I'm too excited. I can I cannot let you speak, Bernard, because I want to do this activity. <laughs> I do it every year in in with my university students, and I do it uh, with fourth graders in this case, and I love this activity. So you start well, by asking. What do you want? What do you need? No, let's explore it. Let's go for it. Oh, okay. So, how many different triangles can you find? by joining dots in a five times five geoboard. And I assume that most of you know the geoboard. If you don't, you can check it out. It's a, a, online, it's a, it's a, a square with, with lots of dots. Uh, and, and yeah, you, you, you can use a, a rubber to, to join the dots and, and create shapes, okay? In it's, this great, case, it's a great manipulative too, like a three dimensional. Yeah, it's a very good manipulative. A in this case, with rubber bands. In this case, it's not, very important or it's not necessary to have the manipulative uh, because you can do this activity with pen and paper if you have this this layer uh, it's better because kids uh, get the, a little bit messy so prepare it in advance and give it to them and after two minutes maybe some of you started trying to find different triangles and some of you might think what what is a different triangle what do you mean by different that's similar to the question we were discussing before i don't want to go into that but i love this activity because at some point my kids who have been training in this problem-solving environment uh, long enough, every year they tell me, Albert, we're not doing this. This is too hard. This is too long. This is, we are too lazy. Mathematicians, I don't know if there, is there any mathematician in the, in, the, in the room, but mathematicians, for definition, are lazy because if they are efficient. They want to do the short path, the short way, the efficient way. So when a problem is too big, and we can see that in the, in, in the research, uh, everyday state-of-the-art research, problems are too big to be handled alone sometimes. So one option is to collaborate, so work working groups, and we will see that now. But also a very good way to, to go into a problem that is too big is break it apart. Or as we do with induction, if you're familiar with induction method of demonstrating, of demonstrating things, um, of proving things, when, when you go to, to induction, you start by case one, and then you, you see the pattern and you say, okay, and it goes with N, N cases. Here is like, okay, not only numbers, we can do that. Instead of trying to find all the triangles in a five times five, which is a very, very, very hard job, I'm telling you, never try well, to and find them. Robert, let me, let me stop you here for a second. I do think it's a hard job because we have answers from four in the range of four to 106. So oh, I think that, that speaks. Somebody to, said over 4K, which that which is, is. Oh, great. sorry, yeah, I missed that one. Yeah, that is true. That so is yeah, great. I think that this speaks. That's to why the, I'm smiling. I love it. Yeah. Honestly, honestly, I don't know. I'm sorry. What I do but, know. Wait, so I want to do this in a classroom, Albert. What do we do? Like this is too yeah. big. We're talking about this depth more and speed. And what do we do? It's okay. Don't avoid that moment. That moment of complaining from from your students. Don't avoid it and, and embrace it and say, yeah, I agree. It's too big. I wanted you to tell me that. Let's do it in a more uh, in a narrower way. Let's face a smaller problem. 
We narrow down the problem, and that's a very good strategy for problem solving. We narrow down the problem and we attack it on a three times three. <laughs> Justin say, I stop at 70. I can tell. So times three times three, it's a smaller geoboard. The solutions are not that many. I am telling you, less than 10. Let's try to find how many. Let's try to find how many. Let's give them one minute. I understand that it's too 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 short. Normally, I, I, I can spend one hour with my kids doing this. And I will go through the tables and see what uh, the kids are doing. Oh, let, let's go through the answers a little. So we see a lot of fours, three fours for now. We see a six, we see a 20, we see a five, we see a four. So it's... If that, happens in, if that happens in class, it's a very good way to start a conversation because you can tell them, why are the answers so different? And maybe if a kid says, if a kid says I have eight, and another kid says, I have five, instead of saying, okay, yeah, you're wrong, you're right, I would put them together. Compare your solutions. Because only by analyzing what triangles you have and what triangles I have, that they are probably not located in the same position, for kids in fourth grade and third grade, this is a hard job to do, to compare the triangles. And you can see them going around the, the, the geo board, trying to, to figure out if that's a triangle I already have. That's a very, very interesting work. So comparing solutions. And another thing I like to do with this activity is to be a little bit mean with my kids. And no matter what they say me, I go to the table. I found them all. I go to that table. Okay, how many? They say, let's imagine they say five. I would say, you are missing one. If I go to another table and that kid says eight, I would say, you're missing one. And it doesn't have to be true because I don't want them to guess. And I am sorry because I, I assume that most of you are guessing now and you didn't find 24 or 26 and you think, you, think you, you have the number. I don't want my kids to guess. I want them to be sure. If I ask you to order three numbers, imagine you want to order one, two, and three. You have one, two, three, one, three, two, and go on, right? You would see that you only have uh, six combinations, okay? So how do you know that? Because you followed a systematic strategy. You can do that also in geometry with the geoport. Follow a systematic strategy so that when I come to your table and I tell you, you are missing one, your answer, would, wouldn't be, okay, let me check again. No, 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 no. A good problem solver, and I, I know that you cannot achieve that in the first time you do this, but eventually a good problem solver would say, no, you are wrong. There are no more solutions. I am sure of what I did. Critical thinking, right? Albert, there is a, a relevant question uh, about okay. whether location matters. Are we Very talking good. about very good. And every time I do this activity, that question pops up. And my answer would be, let's decide all together, but the free illusion of choice, right? Because if location matters, the number of solutions get increased very fast. So I would guide my students so that all together we decide that it doesn't matter where is it located, it's the same triangle as sure. what we did with the, with the rectangles, right? That, that, that makes a lot of sense. Let's, so let's see the answers. Let's see the answers. You see, there are eight answers. And you would you, you might answer yourself, why we have four empty geoboards on uh, below that those eight answers? And my, my answer to that is because when you provide a template for the kids to, to fill in, don't provide the exact amount of spaces to answer. Because if you give them eight options, they will say, Yeah, I have to fill in eight 
So I, yeah, you are losing a lot of opportunities to learn and to be critical and to develop a systematic strategy. So my advice is most of the times give them more space than needed. And they are themselves, they have to see the, the, they have to see when to stop. Okay. And now what I want to that, right? You don't like you get them used to that over time. So I, I think it's important that once they realize, oh, there might be more, there might be less. I, I think that becomes part of the rigor of the class. You don't have to make a problem necessarily harder, but just mm-hmm. giving them that flexibility of, oh, you, you're not telling them how many answers that in exactly. And they don't get used to that. The complexity. Completely agree. Yes, yes, yes. And now Jack is saying the question should be how many different shaped triangles there are. But we have a problem with that one because C number one and then number seven is the same shape. Right? It's the same shape. It's different areas. So different shaped triangles is not a good um, way to, to, to go to this. It's better to have an open an open statement and then agree on the terms. It's difficult now. We are a lot of people and we are online. We cannot do that. But imagine yourself, picture yourself in the class. I would go to that with them. And at the end, all will know what are they doing. But if a kid is too fast and they, you have very talented kids sometimes, and they would say, yeah, I found them all. It's eight. And I finished. I would ask, okay, in how many different locations you can find the first one, for instance? And that kid goes deeper without moving to another activity. But let's So you can forward. naturally differentiate the activity. Yeah, exactly. You can naturally level it. Yeah, that's the universal design. I don't want to do to be too to no. research based okay. right now, but yeah, that's the universal design of activities. Yeah, let's move on. Let's move on. The so, trunk of this activity is finding the triangles and eventually classifying them. We'll go there in a minute. But now let, let's explore a couple of branches. Uh, oh, yeah, uh, yeah, I, I am sorry. I forgot to tell you what's the systematic uh, strategy here because some true. of you might be thinking, okay, I would never know how to find all of them and be sure. You see, the, t- the, the, the clue here is on the, on the bottom side of the triangles in the first row. You can see it's the, the, same, the same bottom side of the triangle all the time, the four times. And then you move, if you have the manipulative, it's easy, you move the third vertex and you find all the different locations. And when you're done, you move to another side length and go on, go on, go on. I'm not telling you this is easy. This is, might take one hour with the fourth grade kids, in my experience. And finishing with them finding all the eight triangles would be a successful activity. And then next time, next hour, I could explore the branches. That's where we were moving for now. Yes. So say. one branch could be. What about the symmetry? Which ones are symmetric? And you might think, oh, this is a very random question. You will see in the end with the classification, it is not. And here you have the solution. Which ones are symmetric? If a kid doesn't see it, you give them the opportunity to cut and fold and discover by themselves if it's symmetrical or not. Don't provide answers, just new questions that foster discovery. Okay, move on, move on. Find the area and the perimeter. Either with the formula or with tessellation strategies, you could do that. Perimeter, oh, but perimeter is too hard for kids. Uh, Pythagoras theorem, yeah, no, we are not going there yet. You can find the perimeter with a ruler and work with measurement and work with decimal numbers here or units. Yeah, it's it's a good branch, the measurement of these triangles. What else could we do? Well, I think that we get- Go back to the trunk. 
how do we classify them? And can you tell the difference between going into the class and telling kids, today we're going to learn the classification of triangles, blah, 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 which is okay, but it's not the best. Instead, we found eight triangles. These are our triangles. We are engaged, emotionally engaged to these triangles. Not all the kids, not all the time, I'm generally speaking. But we are engaged to these triangles. So what can we do now? Do we leave them there? No, let's classify them. And now a conversation would start asking them, what's the criteria to classify them? Is it the symmetry? Is it the area, the perimeter? And eventually you guide the conversation. This would be the second hour, the second session. You guide the conversation to go to the classical classification of triangles, which is according to the angles and according to the sides. I don't know in your experience, in my experience, these were two different activities. One day we classify by sides, one day we classify by angles, and we don't connect those two ideas. But there are two criteria that are compatible one to each other. So you could do a double entry table and place all eight triangles we discovered in this table, right? So if your kids are not uh, familiar with these words, this might take a bit of a, a bit uh, some time and discuss what's acute angle, what's right angle. But let's assume that that is built before. Here you can go and ask them to place those triangles in the grid. Okay, let's place them for now. Yes. And what can you see? The symmetrical ones from the previous classification are all in the first row. Yes, because. Isosceles triangles, two equal sides, at least two equal sides, are connected to symmetry. So every time a kid forgets what does isosceles mean, that's a, a very weird word for them sometimes. So, oh yeah, I remember, and those with the symmetry axis, that's a good connection. That's fostering understanding of isosceles. It's not a word that it's floating. It's, it's, a, it's a good uh, way of connecting it with, a, with a, pro, a thing that kids already understood, such as symmetry in this case, right? And then the end of the activity, and uh, this is the, the, the end of the, of the examples, with these two empty, empty spaces here are dangerous, in my experience, because some kids might understand that these are impossible cases. So those triangles do not exist. If a proper ending for this activity would be drawing a couple of examples of those kind of triangles with the kids. Problem is that you cannot find them on the geoboard but they are real, they can exist. So the activity will be closed. And when I do this activity, I hang a poster on the class with all the classification and we add manually a couple of examples in those empty spaces, right? To have a full view. And some of you might think, what about the, the um, equilateral triangles? Yeah, you could add a row of equilateral, but from the inclusive definitions perspective, an equilateral is a particular case of isosceles so they are included inside the isosceles type of triangles, right? I don't know who want to go deep in that. So that well, finishes the example. Depth, right? This is all about depth. So we started out with something very simple. And we even if you have, you can do it with a piece of paper and dots, or you could do it with a geoboard, have a three-dimensional manipulative and really get them right. engaged in the moving that. And think about what you can do as far as they discovered this. You didn't start with a bunch of definitions on the board where they're, they're, you know, kids are daydreaming about this, that, and everything else. They actually were engaged in the piece and part of the process. And think about how we can link this to so many other facets, not only of geometry, but uh, but of other pieces of the puzzle when we start to talk about area and perimeter and stuff like that with other with other um, equations. So, and those branches 
generate the need because if you say yeah, yeah you, we could explore the perimeter but they do not know what the perimeter is most of the time they would ask oh i want to learn about the perimeter and that's fostering also the necessity of the knowledge which is very hard to get with with young kids well it's already 5 p.m eastern time uh but as i said on the chat uh we'd love to have you for five more minutes if if you can uh but this is the end of the examples um <laughs> now before we we move on we actually want to devote some time for q a at the end so you know uh if you can stay would be we'll be very happy to answer questions i essentially want to take just a second to tell you to ask you actually a question now <laughs> please well yeah like no well this is my thing so here yeah. we introduce some basic premises and basic principles and basic concepts about how we can really create a rich problem-solving environment. So I really want you to think, I think it's always important that we sort of turn the tables, right? And we say, okay, how can I take the lesson I did today, the lesson I'm going to do tomorrow, the lesson I'm going to do next week, and just with three of the 10, right? Three of the 10 of these principles, seeing as an example, three things that we presented today, how and what can you do in your classroom now to take whatever you're currently doing and making it a little deeper, making it a little richer, making the wall a little wider, connecting it to other pieces. You know, that's the kind of thing we want to look for because so many times we go to PD and we like suck it in as a sponge, but then we don't really internalize it and transition it to something we can use in a classroom. So I think that's an essential question every time you go to any professional development, right? What can I do with this? How can I turnkey this? How am I going to use these principles? We saw something very simple, but so powerful. So that's my question for you. Well, let's see some answers. Well, Barbara <laughs> mentioned, give the basic and let, and let them explore. Uh, Alex, well, he mentioned in Spanish, uh, thanking us for the presentation. That's wonderful. Um, Christine is saying, I started the lesson with what you... What do you notice? That's yeah. such a great question. Makes a lot of sense. What else? And maybe they don't have an answer now, but in the following days, they will think and reflect about it and they will start trying. We will be happy to hear from you and your strategies and if it's useful. Then... That's 100%. And, and here, I, I, I love it because Emily is saying, I love fostering an environment that making mistakes is accepted and welcome. So definitely echoing what, what we mentioned before. And, and Paul is mentioning, great reminder, great reminder to let them come up with the answers and to critically think about the answers, right? I think this, this second piece, even if, if we haven't spoken too much about this, it's been like a common factor of all the activities that we've gone through. Um, Jennifer is mentioning, sometimes share examples with errors in them for students to find, discuss, or explore. That's such Perfect. a good point. Such I love doing that. I love, what did I do wrong? Like I intentionally do something right. wrong and see uh -huh. if my kids will catch it. Like, yep, absolutely. Yep. Then Carol is saying open-ended, which it is true. I mean, we saw it in the first activity and it's and it's such a strong thing, right? Mm -hmm. the, I guess that it's important to to pick the right activities to do it. This this might be a piece of it, but but certainly such a such a good tip. Such a good tip. All right. Well, that's wonderful. Now, before we move to Q&A, because we'd love to hear your questions, I just want to take a moment. Um, 
I just want to take a moment to kind of, you know, explain you why we've devoted, you know, this this webinar on problem solving specifically. And the answer is very simple. At Innovmat, we believe that creating a problem solving environment with through the teams that we've mentioned today is essentially the foundation for all learning. It doesn't matter if we're working on geometry, on algebra, on numbers. That will always be the foundation nowadays. And essentially, what we've done in the last six years from Barcelona and kind of to the world is building a program, which is a pre-K to eight full curriculum that allows teachers to work every day on this, unlike this. And essentially, we began in, in a very humble way. <laughs> but right now, the program is uh, being implemented in 2,000 schools around the world. It is Common Core aligned, and it is already ready in the US. So there are several districts piloting actually in New Jersey. And so if you'd love to know more about this, we're very happy to chat. We have you know, our contact at the, at the end on the last slide. Feel free to reach out. I think that on the chat, you also have our emails. And, um, and yes, I'm beyond this before getting to, no, let's get to the q and I think it might be a good time actually. I don't know if there are any specific questions. I think that there was one. Let's see if there are any questions. Feel free to shoot. I, I, I think the reflection of, of Mary Kaufman is, is very interesting. She said, this is great, but would be hard to do in a classroom of children grades K to seven. Of, I mean, that that is, is very hard. Any Anything you try in a class with such a differentiated uh, audience is really, really hard to manage. But I think in, in, in our experience, this universal design, those activities that are as I said, right, uh, low low floor, high ceiling. You can go and find the uh, activities with that style on the internet if you type low floor, high ceiling tasks, and you will find a lot of ideas of tasks that are very easy to start thinking on. Even a kid can start thinking about that, and it can be challenging for a seventh grader as well. So it's very hard, I agree, but this low floor, high ceiling allows you to, to perform better with that. Uh, yeah, there's definitely different. a lot of research out um, available with some examples um, on the internet with that, just so you know if you're in that particular circumstance. A hundred percent. Now, someone asked if Innovomat is connected to any specific curriculum. The answer is Innovomat is a curriculum. So we've built a pre-K to eight full curriculum, which has a lot of different pieces, and it's definitely not the topic of today. But if you'd like to know more, again, we're happy to engage in any conversation. Christine is also mentioning something else. She's saying, you can ask questions like, what are the differences? How are they the same? To, de to develop the criteria of classifying, that's the first question. I totally agree. This is perfect. What are the differences? How, do you, how are they the same? And then from that, you can build groups. So these are different, these are the same. And then that's the, 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 the beginning of classifying. Completely agree, yes. Well, even like when we're talking kindergarten, right? You can show shapes. Yeah. When we talk about showing shapes, we don't say this is a square or what a square or what a square or a square. It's like, what's the difference between this and this? Like, let's look at them. Let's start to compare and that kind of thing. So we, we start with the question, you know, and creating the environment where they, they can take a risk to answer those questions too is important, right? Yes. Well, we love you know, for you to try these activities in the classroom, feel free to do it, please. And we'd love to know how that goes. 
Um, yes, Amy, we will send the ebook as well. Count on that. But we have also something else. Um, yes, so we have actually prepared uh, a few full lessons focused on problem solving. Uh, these are, you know, just taking some of these activities and structuring them. We're taking them out of our curriculum. And they, we're going to have some from K to fifth grade. And there are going to be some for each grade. So each and every one of you should be able to, to find, you know, relevant ones. And essentially, we have a landing page prepared for you. We'll be able to send that by email as well. But we'd just like to know which ones of you are excited to try it to try it in the classroom. And and of course, we can we can send that yeah. you know, in the upcoming days. We are having this framework for many years now. But when, when we did this teacher training, normally at the end, some teachers asked, OK, this is great. But how can I do that in my class? How can I prepare? lots of activities with this style and how can i know the good questions to ask and how can i know the, the what to expect from the kids everything is written down in our guides and and you will see them if if you want to access this uh, lessons yes emily was asking if we have more pv like this the answer is yes uh through different formats and emily we'd love to to get in touch and and discuss this 100 percent And also, by the way, I mean, question to you all. If you'd like to, for us to do another EdWeb focusing on three more of the practices that we covered today, uh, we'd love to do that, of course. So let us know. So where can we find your other PDs? Well, um, I don't have a specific answer. I need to know where you are, Amy, because it depends. Um, but let's let's get in touch and let's have a discussion on this. So Tamara is saying, I think three more would be awesome. That's very good to know. Definitely more. <laughs> very good to hear. So, Marianne, there, there is going to be a PD session not far away in New Jersey. I'll remember to uh, reach out and give you details on that. For New Jersey people, if you guys want to know more about the different PD sessions that are, that are upcoming, I'll definitely keep you posted as well. It's been an absolute pleasure, Roma. It's late, but we've been I in a building be group. I knew it. I, I had a feeling, I had a vibe. Yeah, I could be two hours more with you and doing more activities. I'm kind of sad. <laughs> Can you tell? Can you tell? Like Albert likes this. Kind of like... It's awesome. Yeah. Thank, you. thank you all. He, he he certainly does. And and I mean, thank you so much for being so active on the chat. It was you know the first time that we actually <laughs> that, that that we do it that we do this in this format and. And you know we're kind of getting acquainted with it, so so really appreciated your participation and and it's you know I love to put faces to the names now. <laughs> I know how you guys feel, but but <laughs> thank you all for thank taking the all. time to join us today. Yes, we hope you enjoyed this EdWeb podcast. If you'd like to receive a CE certificate, you must watch the video recording. Recordings and quizzes can be found in the EdWebinar archives. Please visit home.edweb.net slash podcasts for more information.